It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, welcome to Talent Talk, and thank you all for tuning in today, whether you're listening live or happen to be catching us on the podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, we're happy you tune in. So, you know, this show is really came out of the idea that I love to talk to talented people. I love to know what makes them tick. I want to know what they're thinking about. And of course, have a great conversation and figure out what I might be able to learn and share uh, and hopefully take to my organization, share with another organization, really just kind of get that, that great conversation of what is another smart person thinking about that we might we might steal some of their best. I mean, my best ideas are just stuff I stole from other people. Let's just be honest. So, but now we're putting it on the air instead of me just having that conversation in the corner at a conference, which seems like a million years ago now, we have it here on the air. And we get so many wonderful stories uh, from our guests. And in fact, a lot of those stories ended up in my first book, The Power of Company Culture. You can check that out wherever you buy your books online. And uh, hopefully you'll, you'll do that. And you'll get a lot of great stories from people like, uh, you know, Southwest Airlines or General Motors uh, to the small, you know, mom and pop companies that are trying to have a great culture. And I think today we're going to be talking about some of the things that really should be on the minds of anyone, um, really from all the things that have happened in, in 2020. Uh, as I mentioned, it's sort of the dumpster fire of a year, but there were some things I think that came out this year that are good that I think are moving us forward. And I'm, I think in our, especially with my first guest here today, we're going to be getting into some of those things. Again, we are live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, just about every week. And we do highly suggest wherever you find your podcast, go subscribe. Make sure you let the let AI do its work and ping you whenever we have a new episode available so you don't have to even think about it. Um, we're also posting these on YouTube and getting it out there. So um, the last little bit is if you'd like to interact with us, if you'd like to ask me a question or the guest a question, Maybe you have a suggestion. Maybe you want to remember what book or link or thing that we talked about. Angela, my social media expert, is uh, live tweeting this. So whether you're listening live or coming in after the fact, you can go in there and find that stream. And we'll have all the links, all everything about our guests and profiles and any anything ultra smart one of us maybe happened to say. We'll, we'll put that there as a quote, um, and you can check that out. Okay, my guests today on the show are Michelle uh, Silverthorne. She's a diversity expert, CEO of Inclusion Nation, and the author of Authentic Diversity, How to Change the Workplace for Good. And then I'll bring in my second guest, Cynthia Sprague. She's the CEO of, let's see, 
Criteria. Hopefully, I'm, I'm probably screwing that up as I usually do. Uh, but a completely virtual company that focuses on remote team performance. Excited about that. And also the author of How to Work from Home and Actually Get Shit Done. Uh, I think the there was a little apostrophe there, or a little asterisk there I forgot to mention. So anyway, Cynthia will be joining me on the second half of the show. But let's go ahead and bring in my first guest. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about who you are? You know, how did you end up in the work that you're doing now? And what, you know, what does your company really do to help other organizations? Oh my goodness. I will start the smartness that Chris said that we are going to drop on y'all today. So I'm Michelle Silverthorne. I want run a wonderful company called Inclusion Nation. I was trained as a lawyer. I'm an immigrant. I came to this country when I was 17 years old. Um, I went to Princeton. I went to Michigan Law. I practiced law for a number of years. And then I tell the story in my book, pretty much how I started in this work, which is finding people who looked like me nowhere near the top in law firms or in the clients that we had, the corporate clients that we had, and hearing that a lot of the reason for that is me, right? Um, there's something wrong with me. I need extra coaching. If I just did X, Y, Z, if I changed my hair or my clothes or my tone, my way of speaking, I would fit in. And realizing that after I'm spewing the exact same thing to people who I'm mentoring, but that's not doing anything for our numbers and our stats and our diversity numbers look just as bad as they did 10 years ago, that we need a different narrative. And so what I want to do and the work that I do with Inclusion Nation, the work I do as a speaker and as a trainer, as a consultant, is to really go into companies and talk about how is it that you can change? What are the structures? What are the barriers? What are the impediments in place for change? Because the goal I want to get to is what the title of my book is. It's Authentic Diversity. If you are bringing in people of color, if you're bringing in BIPOC folk, if you're bringing in people of different ability status, veteran status, let them be diverse. Let them be different. So let's look at how we are going to create spaces to allow for that. And that's the work that I do. That's awesome. And maybe we could, I would love to get you to sort of define, what do you think diversity is in an organization? What does that really mean to you? You know, diversity, I mean, it's a really simple concept. It's all the ways that you're different, right? Anyone who has any differences at all, different identities, different representations, whatever they are, it's all the ways that you are different, right? All the different identities that we have. The thing with diversity is though, that's great. Everyone has different identities. That's awesome. But the reality is, and how a lot of companies are structured, is that only certain of those identities make it to the top. And if you look at data, if you look at numbers, if you look at focus groups, if you just looked at lived experiences, you will see again and again, I do a lot of stats in my book, I do a lot of stats in my presentation, what the C-suites look like, what the management teams look like, it's predominantly white men, what the high potentials look like, what the succession planning looks like. And if we keep on doing that over and over again, we're going to have a lot of diversity at the entry level. That's great. But what happens after the entry level? Who is getting into those management positions? So that's when we talk about equity. So it's not just enough to have diversity. You need to have equity. Is that playing field fair and equal to everyone? Is it accessible to everyone? Are you doing your work as a leader to ensure that that playing field is accessible? Or are you simply saying, well, some people get ahead and that's just the way it is and I'm not willing to change anything about the system that's worked really well for me to make it fair for everybody? Um, and then my goal, like I always say, it's inclusion, right? When are we going to get to the space where talent is valued, differences are valued, and really creating that space where people do feel like they can belong here? Yeah, yeah. So why do you think organizations are struggling so much? Why are they failing at, at this concept? 
You know, not everyone's failing. I will say that. You know, I've thought about that question a lot over the years. And, you know, one, the original title of my book once was Stop Failing at Diversity. And then I realized it's not true. It's a journey, right? And we're all at different places in our progress. Some are doing good. Some are not doing great. And some are making no progress whatsoever. Some of them are even going backwards, right? I think for me, it comes down to three things. The first thing is that you don't have buy-in from leadership, right? There is no buy-in from leadership. The leaders, whoever the, whoever you want to call your leaders, whether it's, you know, your junior managers all the way to your C-suite execs, they do not believe in this change. And there is no one in that C-suite who's saying that this is what we stand for, this is where we are going, and this is how we move forward. Second, they have no goals, right? Everyone says that, oh, diversity is so hard. It's not hard if you set down goals. What do you want to achieve? And the third thing, and this is something I spend a lot of time talking about my book because I love it so much, it's data. What is your data showing you? You know, where are the shortfalls? Where are you trying to get to? So you have goals, but where, you know, looking at the resumes, you want to start with hiring, looking at who's getting the projects and who's getting the good work and who's getting exposure to clients. The data isn't showing because you're not looking at the data. And so much of what we spend time on is looking at how folks succeed rather than looking at how people don't succeed. And so that's what I really want that data to look at. So leadership investment, goal setting, and then looking at the data. That's where I think companies need to start. And that's really where I am not seeing a lot of companies do the work at. So I'd like to kind of get your thought on, uh, you know, I've I've just come up a few times on the radio show here. And I'm a big believer that uh, I think the problem with diversity inclusion and also the solution for diversity inclusion, it really is based in systems. Mm-hmm. Right, that this there's a systematic problem. Pe- we we I I personally stood up in front of people for years and said we need to be more diverse. This is a goal for us. We want to do it. And guess what? It never happened. Yep. We kept trying to hire people that we felt were fit that diverse category, right? And they either didn't take the job or they didn't last. I mean, it, we couldn't seem to move. And so I made a change and we put in a system where we valued diversity of thought, right? We removed the idea of diversity from what I can see about you or what I can read about you to, right? How do I, how do I find people who think differently than who I already have here? And so we did that by using strength finders. We realized, you know, we have all these strengths of the people we have here. And then we have all these other strengths that we have no one in our organization who has these other categories. And we basically said, we're not gonna hire anybody unless they have one of these strengths that we don't have. And for me, and I don't know if this would work for everybody, but for our organization, magically, the people I'm staring at across from me at a table or on a Zoom looked a lot different. Yeah. And so we started from a different place. It wasn't, I want more men or I want more women or I want more of this, you know, race or whatever. It was just, I want people who don't, who are not specifically like the people I have right now, right? And then that started bringing me differences in the door. Do you think we need something more of a system like that? I mean, I just, I'm a bit cynical that people can just forego all cognitive biases, all the stuff they've been programmed with, right? If they don't have a little bit of help, some, maybe, maybe a crutch or something to lean on to help Mm -hmm. them get to where they need to get. You know, one of the things when I do my leadership trainings, I talk to people about toothpaste and seatbelts, right? The reason that we brush our teeth is not the reason we wear seatbelts. We brush our teeth because there was this great advertising campaign for years that talked about how great toothpaste felt and that wonderful tingly feeling and you get that fresh breath and that changes your hearts and minds. Great. But the reason we put on seatbelts is because someone changed a system. 
They changed the system and that system changed your behavior. They said that we are installing these seatbelts and then they had laws that would be put into place. Legislators put into place laws that said you're putting on your seatbelts. People put on their seatbelts. That became a habit. You can spend years trying to change someone's hearts and minds. You can spend decades trying to change hearts and minds. Really, you really can do it. Or you can be a leader who says, this is the system we're putting into place. Here's how the system is going to work. You can adapt and learn how it works or you can leave. And that's the choice. And that's really what I want leaders to do. It's exactly about systems, right? Don't waste your time. I mean, I love, I'd love, I'd love if everyone did this because it's the right and the good thing to do. And we looked past our biases and we were able to see someone for who they are and what they're able to achieve, not on what our biases say that they're limited in doing, right? But it's not true. So what yeah. we also need to do is to put into place systems that can regulate that behavior and that can say, when you look at me and you see a black woman, and you see someone who is not capable because of all the biases that you have about what black women and black people can and cannot do. Here is a system that we have put into place, whether it's evaluations or assignments or project work or client system, that will ensure that you know that I am capable of doing this work just as well. And that is why the systems change has to start with the organization. And that's what has to start with leadership. Are there any other systems that maybe companies should consider doing? I mean, I've We've never experimented with this, but I've heard of, you know, things like people removing names from resumes, right? Mm -hmm. So you're sort of looking at resumes almost blindly. I felt like that would be a pretty good one if we That's ever needed one. it. Yeah. And I think you just need to go back to what your goals are, like what we just said in the beginning. What are you trying to achieve? If you're just going to do scattershot, you know, Deloitte has a really great four different levels of diverse or four different stages. And one stage is where a lot of companies at. They're just throwing things at the wall, seeing what sticks. Let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try this but they have no broader goals in mind. So what are your broader goals? So say you do have a hiring problem. First of all, do you have a hiring problem? Have you looked at your data? Have you looked at your stats? Does it demonstrate that you have a hiring bias towards certain schools or credentials or genders or names or religions or backgrounds, whatever it is? If it doesn't exist, putting a solution in place that's going to solve it is not going to work. So figure out what the issue is. And then you know, removing the names is a great start. Another great start is looking at where you're actually posting jobs. Great. But what happens when they find the jobs? If you're posting jobs in XYZ, but the ethnic groups or the groups that you want to attract aren't ever looking in XYZ, have you done the investment work to go into schools? Have you connected with the affinity groups in schools? Have you invited those affinity groups to come to your company to meet your people? So you really just have to think through what does your data show you? And then there are thousands of systems that you can put into place. But the only way they are going to work is if it's a system that works for you. So do you think that the, if, if we were to start one place, you know, is it trying to, to deal with what peop, some people might think about other people, right? Is that the problem? Is it, our, is it the biases that we, we have where we think someone, it, this could be gender biases, this could be race biases, this could be age biases, this could be you know, all sorts of things. There's, there's even mm -hmm. biases with veterans. I mean, all kinds of stuff, right? Is that the problem? Or is it that we as sort of a crutch go back and tend to want to find people or we connect with people who are like us? Yeah, that's a problem too. They're right? both issues, right? And you know, if mm -hmm. you want to say that, and that's not always the issue. I mean, I might hire someone because based on the bias that I have of say, this particular person or group, I may think that that person is going to be a better lawyer, even though they're not in the same end group as me. I mean, biases take so many different forms. It's attribution bias and affinity bias and confirmation bias and all these different biases. Mm -hmm. And that's part of it. 
But just acknowledging that you have a bias doesn't eliminate the reason that you have one. And this is something I specifically talk about in my TED Talk when I say that you can talk about bias all day long, but you know what you haven't talked about is race. And what you haven't talked about is the reason that you have that bias in the first place. And if you want to put into place systems, which is fine, that can interrupt that bias, that's important. But I also need you to examine why do you have that bias in the first place? Why do you think that that HBCU isn't as good as Princeton, which is where I went to school? Why do you think someone who has Muhammad in his last name isn't as worthy of a second resume review as someone who does not? Where does your bias come from? Because until you fix that, you can put into place system after system after system. And I think that's important. But then we get to the promotion level. Who's going to get promoted? Mm. Then we get to the reviews. What words do we put in our reviews that are subjective, right? So thinking through, like I said, I would love to put systems into place, but I can't abandon hearts and minds, right? I cannot abandon them because they matter too. Yeah, and, and I think that's really, really important. I think if someone's not getting it, I think what you're what you're saying is you have to do lots of things, right? You have to, this is an approach. It's like if I want to lose weight, it's not just exercise. It's not mm-hmm. just calorie restriction or whatever. It's not just lifestyle. Not, right? If you do a lot of different things well, then you can you can reach a goal much quicker, much more effectively than just doing one thing. Although doing at least one thing would be helpful. Yes. <laughs> Starting is a really good plan. I have so many clients who are just like, I don't know where to start. And so then they don't start. So, yeah. I mean, a lot of my training, and this is something that I know you can relate to is convincing people that they have the ability to do this, right? All of this work that I do on skills building and trying to create, you know, create you having that belief that here is the problem. Here is the shortfall. Let me tell you what it feels like to be a black woman in corporate America. Let me tell you what it feels like to have the biases and the microaggressions and the racism and the exclusion. And once I have said that, here is my question to you. What are you willing to do about that? Because you can easily continue being a success and being a leader who simply doesn't do anything about that. You can, you really can, or you can try and you can put into place a system and you can measure the success and you can put into place the exact same approach to goals as you do with every other part of your business. And then if you make it transparent and you demonstrate progress and you put accountability measures in, that means we can actually get stuff done. So as I sort of mentioned at the beginning of the of the show, I mean, 2020 has had a lot of things happen. And I think one of the, the things, uh, although difficult and although arduous, I mean, ha- has been positive in my mind that there has been this renewed attention to to this issue and specifically the Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. movement and, and a lot of the good and bad things that we have seen happen this year that have really drawn a lot of attention to that. that. Um, how are you seeing that maybe kind of play out inside the corporate world? Um, is that cause more people to want to have a conversation? Does that cause them to want to do something about it? Are they just trying to put lipstick on a pig? I mean, what, you know, how, yeah. That's an interesting question. I tell people, you know, the day before George Floyd was murdered, so that would have been May 25th, right? And before the videos were published, um, it was coronavirus. I mean, it still is coronavirus, but it was early in the coronavirus and it was still a month and a two in. And everyone canceled everything. Like all the trainings were canceled, budgets were cut, you know, companies weren't doing very well. Lots of DEI people were laid off. And then George Floyd's murdered and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and the conversation shifts and the protests start. And then literally companies came out to the wood where I got that first week, I must've had like 250 calls that I had to reply to or 250 requests for proposals. Right? So it's been, I've had companies who have never done a program ever before doing it now. 
And it's and, and I have companies who have been doing something and they haven't really committed to it, recommitting to it. Now I have companies who've been on this road a long time and they're you know they're they're you know they're keeping on going. But what's interesting is two things I've seen. One is the courage to talk about things that you were not talking about before, especially when it comes to race. Right. Second is that it's not just the leadership doing it. It's actually there are a lot of leaders doing it. But the power is coming, and I hate this phrase, but the power is coming from the young people. It's coming from those new, you know, those new employees and those interns and those younger, you know, younger employees who are coming in and saying, this is not the company that I would like to be associated with, but it is the company I want to support, and it is the company for which I work, and this is the company I want to do better. And so issues of social justice, things that we weren't talking about 40 years ago, when it comes to corporate America, those are issues that are here right now. And your employees want to address them and they want to talk about them. And so that is the difference that I am seeing. And that is the voices I'm hearing. And if they're not getting through with you on your, you know, through your corporate C-suite, they're going to go on Twitter and they're going to go on Instagram and they're going to go on LinkedIn and they're going to talk about it there. And so the question for my leaders, whenever I ask them is, where do you want this conversation to be? Are you willing to lead it? Are you willing to engage with it? And if you are, awesome. So let's talk about how we do that. Yeah. Seems like there's been different types of sparks and different types of moments. But, you know, there's, there was a moment in, in time when it became uh, acceptable, right, suddenly for women to be working in the workplace, right, before it was not acceptable. And that was World War II. And there was white there middle was, class woman, but yes, we will. Yeah, okay, I'll get, yeah, absolutely. But at least, you know, it was the beginning of uh, the maybe sort of a movement, right? And it was the beginnings of, that maybe sexual harassment wasn't good anymore, right? That wasn't going to be acceptable or whatever. And, and and it's kind of amazing it's taken this long for the conversation to hit this sort of peak, right? This sort of, you know, threshold of it being now a part of a dialogue, part of an actual conversation. Because you said 40 years ago, I'm thinking, I'm thinking four months ago, it wasn't even really a part of it. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. there was a lot of lip service being given and there was a lot of like, well, let's just put this particular type of person in this role called diversity and yeah, we're doing something. And but, we're done. And we're done. But now I'm seeing like, you know, states actually requiring certain percentage, uh, you know, whether it's uh, more racially diverse or gender diverse boards, which I think is, is great. And I have a lot of people have mixed feelings about that. But I, again, I'm a big systems person. And if you don't put in that system, you don't, there's no leverage, there's no reason they have to follow. Like your seatbelt example, then people just kind of keep going along with what they did, right? Yeah. Remote work would have never gotten the acceptance it got if it wasn't for COVID, right? And and certainly my example, World War II, that's changing. Right? If you don't have no one who can work, you have to go find a new population of people. And that changed our, our perceptions of, 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 of gender normalities and all that. And, and certainly not maybe a, to your good point, maybe just for white women, but it, it, you know those, these sort of big events tend to seem to bring a little bit of a tidal wave. Can we sustain it? Are there things that you you really think we should be really thinking about or companies should be doing right now to make sure that this momentum keeps going? You know, it's not going to keep going. It's going to dip. And I want everyone to know that. And I, you know, I I, I, have, I, mean, I I can talk about how I keep the momentum going, but I really would like people to realize that this was a specific moment in our history and a specific moment in our country. It was an election year. It was a pandemic year. And I do not want to have black men and women be murdered for us to do this again. So if we want to keep this momentum going, I absolutely think we should and we can, but we're not going to at achieve these high levels because we're never going to have this particular set of circumstances again. But what I would like, and this is really not to leaders, this is to individual employees, but this is also to leaders. 
if your company said, and whatever company, if it's your community, it's your school, it's your faith organization, whatever it is, if they came out with a statement that said, we are committed to X, we are going to do Y, we would like to donate to this, I would like you to go back to them and ask them who is committed to it? Who is actually in charge of this? What are their goals? What are the steps they are taking? Who are the people who are going to be involved in this? Because the only way we keep this movement going is if, if each of us with our own spheres of influence use that in the world that is going with the people that we work with and the people with whom we interact and the power which, with which we have. So regard, if that is someone who is, you know, if you're the CEO of a company and you've been assigning this to people, you follow up with them and figure out if they're doing the work. And if you just started your company last week and you're just like, what is going on? Figure out who is in charge of doing this work and how, if you have the energy and the time to be involved, get involved. Because no one is going to keep anything accountable if it's not the people listening to this right now. It's you who have to do the work. So that's how we actually keep this momentum alive. Well, fantastic. And I really appreciate you being on the show today and sharing all of your wonderful knowledge and helping keep this conversation going. Unfortunately, we're out of time. So I want to make sure one last question. How can people find out more about you? How can they find you on the on the interwebs? Where should they go to, to, to learn more about you? The interwebs, they can go to michellesilverthorne.com, find me there. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at In With Michelle. And you can always connect with me on LinkedIn. I post on all of those platforms, very different things. So you find whatever platform works for you and we can talk that way. Thank you so much for being on the show today. And I really want to have you come back soon so we can keep this conversation going and keep the momentum going as well. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Take care. Good luck. All right. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. We'll bring in my second guest, Cynthia Spraggs. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my uh, first guest, Michelle uh, Silverthorne, you can get her interview as well as one we're about to have. So wherever you find your podcasts, make sure you subscribe to the show, Talent Talk. Look up Town Talk, Chris Dyer, and you can subscribe on any of those different platforms. And let the computer let you know when there's a new episode available. Uh, don't forget, you can also go to talenttalkradio.com and subscribe there as well and find all of the different shows that we've had over the many, many years we've been doing this. And finally, don't forget to follow at PeopleG2 on uh, Twitter. We're doing a live tweeting right now uh, where all the best one-liners, all the best uh, bits of advice, links to books, uh, our guests' profiles, all of that will be placed there. So in case you are driving and listening and don't have a, certainly don't want you writing anything down while you're driving, you can go back there and find it on Twitter. So, all right, my next guest is uh, Cynthia Sprague, CEO of Vitura. Hopefully I'm saying that right. I think she'll let me know in a minute. Uh, a completely virtual company uh, like ours uh, that focuses on remote team performance. She's also the author of How 
to work from home and actually get shit done. So uh, let's go ahead and bring in Cynthia. Welcome to the show. Hey, Chris, thanks for having me on today. I think you're the first person who's actually said the entire title of the book. In All right. The US. Yeah, we didn't realize. Yeah, anyway, there we go. Well, that's good. I don't, I don't have any problem cursing on it. We're, we're not on network television, so right. we're, we're, we're all good. <laughs> Great. I remember my very, very first show of this, uh, I believe someone said the word bitch. And by that time, my PR person lost her mind. And I go, you know, this is just a podcast, right? Like, it, 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 it's fine. We're, we're okay. So anyways, yeah, yeah. anyone's offended, they know how to, how to turn me off. Exactly. Or there's also the edit. There's wonderful things called edit buttons these days. So That's we right. should be good. That's right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about you, you know, who you are, what you do, and of course, what your company does as well. Sure. So... I have not worked in an office since 1994. If there was anybody who was not cared for working in an office, it was me. I did my master's in telecommuting, vowed never to work in an office after that, and that was in the mid-90s, and I never have. And now I run a completely virtual company that is geared to making really remote teams more productive. Most of our clients are, I mean, Vertira, most of our clients are uh, big Silicon Valley uh, tech companies, and we've been doing it for over a decade. So we've learned a lot, not only from running our own company virtually, as it sounds like your company is also virtual, but also myself having to having to adapt to being a virtual employee, consultant, and business owner. It, you know, so we've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, and uh, I'm really excited to kind of hear some of your thoughts about this, as uh, I've been. 100% virtual since 2009. In fact, I just finished my book about remote work. So I think we have a lot to talk about there and a lot of passion for that because we stumbled upon remote work as a result. We were trying to deal with a recession in 2009. We wanted mm. to keep our people. We really made it for financial reasons was why we went remote. And then within two weeks realized, oh my gosh, this is amazing. We all loved it. This was the, now we, we knew we were going to keep it forever. Uh, it wasn't just a financial decision. It was really a cultural decision for us. You know, so I think a lot of companies are kind of now in this thing now with the pandemic, they're, they're in remote. And I like to say they're not really doing remote work yet. They're, they're close. And what I mean by that is they have kids at home and spouses at home. And for me, remote work is like peace and quiet and this opportunity to actually think and not have distractions and people around. And not quite what everyone's getting right now. I think there's maybe some people that are, but a lot are not. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think, I mean, let's, let's face it. Uh, I just read some studies recently that 50% of the workforce that can work remotely, everybody's working remotely who can right now, and 37% of those people are used to commute to work. So it's a huge change for a lot of employers who weren't really ready for that transition. Yeah. And uh, even our own company, I don't know about you, but we have a lot of employees now with spouses and children and things that they never used to have hanging around the house now. So there's been quite a bit of, even in a company that's used to working virtually, there's been a lot of change, even for us. I mean, we would normally meet twice a year to have an in-person planning session, you know, right. on a whiteboard, everybody gets together. Well, that, that's out the window. So we've had to completely change how we do our planning because I don't think we're all going to get together for at least the next nine months if we're lucky. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
and we were the same way, right? We, we always got together once a year mandatory. Like we flew everybody in and did a big all staff and then our holiday party. And then we would do one optional, you know, in the summer, kind of a barbecue or whatever. And it was nice to be around people to have that little, that, that's kind of held everybody over, I think. Um, but that's now gone and hopefully it'll come back. But, you know, are there, are there other challenges or other things that you're seeing that, you know, your clients are really thinking about or are worrying about, you know, not why they're remote, you know, maybe it's temporarily or at least for the foreseeable future? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I've been reading a lot of the big studies. Everybody seems to be publishing a study these days. And half of them, I really like the ones that are out of the National Bureau of, uh, I think it's Economic Statistics. They've, they, they do huge 20,000-person cross-border. And what I think is most interesting is just because a, a job can be done virtually doesn't necessarily mean the person should be doing it virtually. There's a right. whole segment of the population I don't want to call them out, but they're called extroverts. And you put them at a home office, and honestly, they a lot of them just, it's not a good situation for them. You know, I, 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 we're advising clients, if you start moving people back to the office, look for people that are working on their own, and look for people that are typically social animals. You know, those people who are out at 5 o'clock every night banging pots on their balcony, those are probably a good choice for for moving back to the office because honestly they it's just not a fit for them so while I really believe in in I think it's incredibly productive to be a, working virtually but I also think that there's a whole segment of the population that's just not built to work that way I don't know about if you found that as well yeah you know, it's interesting because I think I have a kind of a different take that I I'm a, I'm a card-carrying extrovert and I love working from home and, and that's for a couple of reasons. One, we sort of have built our meetings and built our interactions at the company around, so I can have that. I, we, we do a lot of video, a lot of mandatory video. And we do this thing called, you know, no mascara day. If you have a bad day and you don't want to be on camera, that's okay. Hmm. Otherwise, we're on camera. And so we're getting to see each other. We can see each other smile. We can read body language, right? And that happens. And the second thing, this was really, all, of course, pre-COVID. Anyone else who was an extrovert, I was really coach them that they needed to go find that outlet somewhere else. Mm -hmm. They weren't going to get that. I'm around someone. I'm in someone else's physical space and I need that thing. They're not going to get that at work. So go get it in a, with your hobby, with your clubs, with coaching sports teams, with, you know, we would, we would just have that conversation with them to make them realize they had to kind of reprogram their life a little bit. And for most people that, that worked really well. Mm -hmm. The other lesson we learned was that extroverts were wasting everybody's time in the office, right? Because they like to go around and be around people, they were showing up in offices and having impromptu meetings and, and hanging out at the water cooler just so they could talk to people. And they were actually huge time wasters for a lot of people. And so, but we kind of removed that part and we found this, people got much more efficient, they got much more productive because they weren't having. So it was that good balance of we have to give them the opportunities to connect but then not just leave it to up to them on when they connect. Uh, so they're not taking everyone's time. Right, right. Yeah. And do you find, uh, I mean, one thing we find is we really had to control our virtual meetings is that uh, we found people that just wanted to talk, right? They wanted right. to connect so badly. And sometimes they weren't able, you know, right now, I don't know, but I think you're, you're in California and you're pretty locked down. I mean, there are times, and certainly now, and I think until 
easily in the next few months where some people aren't even allowed to leave their houses depending where some of these yeah. people are. And so, you know, they make up for it. So we do encourage them. We have what I would call engagement meetings where everybody gets together and, you know, how's your what's your cat look like, what's your dog. And then we have production meetings where, you know, it's down to business and we're very rigid on, you know, we talk the first three minutes and then and then get on to the work and take minutes, action items, follow up and all those things. So I think there's two dis two distinct type of engagements you have online with your employees. And, uh, you know, I yeah. don't know. What, I, I find it interesting. Of course, the I mean, I've had people who we have had the benefit of hiring from the very beginning for people that would be sort of suited for remote work. And the, the, yeah. the, the extroverts we've hired, most of them have quit because they couldn't handle it. They, uh, mm. they, I've, had people, I've had people who chose to commute an hour a day to a lower, lower paid job who, who would choose that over working out of their home office. So I think wow. there's a spectrum. And I think, yeah. you know, I think, I think you test, I mean, right now what I'm most curious, what I'm most concerned with is the, the, the people isolated in their houses is right. you know, the people alone. Maybe they've lo had lost ones. You know, I think that HR departments really need to be paying attention to the circumstances of their employees and reach out because I do think there's people that are going to be far more stressed, particularly in the next few weeks than even they would be normally with the holidays and everything like that. Yeah. I mean, so. a couple of the things that we've done that have been really helpful is we, we're very much, uh, we have a lot of team uh, focus. And so we people kind of have their own little pod. They have, you know, five to seven people who they are on a regular basis interacting with and having conversations with. So they feel like they have a little group mm -hmm. um, and they can be social and they can, you know, you can kind of be connected to that group in a different way than you are with maybe the rest of the company. Um, that really helps. The other thing is we're pretty adamant that one-on-one -on -one meetings are a complete waste of time and you shouldn't be having them. And again, that disconnects someone from having just going around trying to have all these one-on-ones to fill, fill up their cup if they need it. Mm. Right. And instead get them on a 15 minute call with their team. And now you're having this much more social thing you're collaborating and the team is far better at solving problems and coming up with great ideas than, than two people on a single conversation. Right. Um, and, and so it kind of, so we've, we really had to kind of like play with our, you know, I guess how we're sort of manipulating the, the structure of everything. I think if we just leave it to people, they struggle, but something I think earlier to your point that I definitely agree with, there are people who just can't be remote, but I think the label I always put on it is, if, if you are not self-directed, if you can't get your job done without being micromanaged or having someone hanging over you if, you, if you need a boss who's always looking down at you to kind of put that pressure on you to do your work, you're never going to make it remote long-term, right? <laughs> no, I don't think so. And I think you've heard, I, I, I suspect because you're, I think you would have heard about the co-working that's happening on video. Uh, yeah. I don't, can't remember which company it is, but it is a, I think it's a Silicon Valley company. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, these two people are working together on video. I, I don't know about you, but I think that's a little extreme to me. That right. sort of feels a little like North Korea. Like yeah. you've got to have somebody constantly monitoring your work. And I agree with you. I think that it's up to managers to set very clear, identifiable performance goals. This is what you've got to do. And then leave it up to the individual to achieve that because 
otherwise, if you're going to micromanage people, it, it, having them be remote is, is not going to be pleasant for anybody. I mean, they're yeah. going to feel checked up on. You're going to feel that you don't have control of your, your, your workspace. So, you know, I, I think that, um, I think managers just have to, they have to put in the, uh, put in the, the delivery objectives and go from there. I don't know. I, I, have you had any employees that have had to now like, work with their spouses or have their kids home? Because yeah. we've had a few problems. Even bandwidth. I mean, we've had to teach people how to log into their router and claim some bandwidth channels for themselves because the video games are just suck, you're know, just taking all of that time. So it's interesting when you mentioned about uh, the sort of different groups of people. We we really figured out. It wasn't any, with the pandemic, it wasn't any more about our introverts or our extroverts or anything like that, which it used to be. It was more about our, their home situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we validated this and did a study with Cornerstone on Demand. We sort of looked at their organization and put it as a case study in, the, in, my, in my book that's coming out next year. Uh, and they sort of validated what we saw and they have a lot more employees than I do. So it was good to kind of see it was the same scenario. And that is the single people and people living with just one other person, right? A partner, mm-hmm. a spouse. They were overworking. Uh, they were bored. They were at home and nothing to do. And so they worked too much. They were on too many things. They drank too much. They ate too much. They mm-hmm. just sort of did everything too much because they were bored. Right? They had nothing else to do. And, but they didn't have internet problems. Now, our families, anyone who had kids at home, right? Parents, single parents, whatever it may be. They had a kids at home. Um, they now had uh, issues with being productive because they were being interrupted all the time. Um, we had to give them much more flexibility in their work um, when they worked. So they may have pockets of time that they could work and had pockets that they had to stop and help maybe their child with online schooling and things like that. Internet was a little bit of a problem there. And then we had our multi-generational families. So not only did they have potentially a small children at home, they maybe had an older child who came home from college, they maybe had a grandparent or a parent that moved in uh, during that time. And so everyone was on the internet. Um, So with those two groups, we just sent them hotspots. We said, here is a hotspot. Either you take it and make it dedicated for your work or give it to that other person and let them get off your bandwidth and you do your, so we kind of, we had to help them with their bandwidth problems. Yeah, Um, interesting. And we also regrouped all of our teams. So I told you we have those teams. We would typically be like sales team, research team. Mm. Instead, we regrouped our teams temporarily to be the families and, and multi people, people with kids and people with multi-generational. They're on a team now because their schedules are up and down because they have things to talk about that are specific to them. And then we put our single people and our uh, people with maybe just one other person in the house on a different team because they want those little funny meetings and what is your cat doing? And they want right, more exactly. of that stuff. But the mm-hmm. person who has their mom living with them and their children living with them and a spouse who came home to work as well, they're like, I can't handle another meeting. Leave me alone. I'm, I'm underwater. So we really had to diversify it on completely different uh, categories than what we used to do. How interesting. You know what we just did, and it's been hugely successful, is we introduced no meeting Fridays and everybody you've heard a lot of people reintroducing the four-day work week and for us it's because our clients aren't four days it's just not realistic so 
we decided if we were originally block, blocking off um, work time, you know, two hours, four hours, and that wasn't working because people would want to meet at a different time. So we just mandated no meetings on Fridays. And That's it's been great. incredibly, it's been so successful. I mean, people are ready for Monday morning. They get all their work done. They don't have the interruption of going from, you know, no meeting at all. So if, if there's anything I think we have, we have learned or we have done and we're suggesting to our clients now is, you know, rather than a four-day work week, have a four-day meeting week. And yeah. uh, it's been very successful. Yeah, I, I love that idea. I've heard some companies doing a whole day or maybe half a day, you know, the Friday half day is no meetings and that's worked really well. We played with that and we found it was like, to your point with clients and things, it got to be too difficult. We, we were kind of reverted to the almost every meeting is optional. There are mm. certain meeting types that are, are mandatory, but um, we give people that option. Like if they have a big project, if they're underwater, they just don't come to the meeting and they can get caught up and read the notes or we record the Zoom and they can watch it later. Or someone types up a summary and puts it in the, 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 their channel in Slack to you know, get people caught up. And that's, if they have that permission not to show up when they need to not show up, that seems to kind of release that. Yeah, as well. I think that's good too. I mean, we do the same thing, send out the recordings with the meetings. We try and cut down, you know, you really need to be on this call. Are you listening or are you making a decision? So yeah. yeah, all great points. I think I've learned, I've learned actually a lot today. This has been great for me. I think you've got some really, really great. I, I have to go back, especially on that uh, multi-generational versus singles versus thing. And see how that, we might even try implementing that and see how that works. Yeah, it, it's, it's sort of fun. And you're, I love when every time you can get people from different parts of the company talking because they just always seem to find a solution to a problem that no one could ever, because you, customer service wasn't talking to accounting, right? Or sales wasn't talking to research. And so suddenly when they're on a team together for a different reason than what their job is, um, they have different perspectives and, and, and really just ties into our, mm -hmm. our, our, the first guest here today, it brings a different level of diversity of thinking. And so we really can have different outcomes and, 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 you know, everyone likes to commiserate and talk about what's going on. They like to talk about what their woes are. Uh, they want to have, you know, a moment to all talk about how terrible things are and commiserate a little bit. I mean, that's just sort of a, I think a human thing. And also it's a little bit of a human thing to gossip, whether you think that's good or not. People like to come and talk about what's going on and what they've heard about clients and each other and all of that. And I think as long as it's not recorded in a negative way, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. They, they need that outlet. And, and I, you know, I, I think if the organization is creating that and is, is developing it and is being intentional about it, then it can work in a very positive way for you your organization. But if you just leave it haphazard and you hope that they're going to reach out and talk to people, you're going to lose good people really quick. Yeah, just I, I agree. I think you need a lot more structure. And I think the, even if it doesn't look like structure, the idea of uh, these people being, you know, pushing them together and, and it's, it's all about engagement. Everybody's worried about engagement right now. Yeah. And I think that um, I really, I, I think that I think it's a great idea. I'm going to take it away and see if we can uh, implement something like that. So are, are you seeing other areas that maybe are a bit of a concern, especially from companies that aren't used to remote work? Uh, are, are you seeing much around this sort of micromanaging problem? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Most people, it's interesting. We brought in, early, just at the beginning of the pandemic, we had an opportunity to hire some pretty 
great people because they were being laid off and they had never worked remotely before and the very first thing their assumptions were that you have to micro only lower level people can work remotely because you have to micromanage them and the and there was other assumptions just as you know that were incorrect so I think there there is a and hope I think there's a big misconception over what can be accomplished remotely and what has to be done in an office. I do think the, you know, I think what everybody is perhaps missing is the ability to whiteboard. I know there's tools out there. I mean, we're working on various, various applications to see if we can replicate everybody getting in and doing a planning meeting on a whiteboard. But other than that, I think. I really do think that with a bit of training and support, most companies can, that if they're geared for remote work, mm-hmm. they can learn. They can learn to learn to do remotely. I, I mean, I've heard of um, some large meetings that are done by teleconference where it takes 30 minutes to do roll call, where they used to fly in. I mean, I'm thinking to myself. You cannot. Do you have an idea what that is costing you per hour to have all those people sitting listening to roll call? Yeah. And I'm thinking, would you not just put in the budget to put a good video conferencing platform where it would automatically take attendance? So there's there's a lot of things that I that we see that unfortunately because of the ingrained, I think there's a lot of ingrained bias against remote work and virtual working, and I still think that is going to happen today. I don't know if you've read, but most of the most of the studies I'm seeing indicate that employers are going to go to a hybrid work hybrid work environment, two days on, three days off, two days on, and a lot of people are really worried about the collaboration that's going to happen. I mean, are you going to see them in person? How are you going to collaborate if you're not there and they're all going in a meeting and you're not there? So, I don't think we're seeing. I think we're at the tip of the iceberg right now. On some of the challenges that employers are going to have with managing remote work, depending how they implement it, right? Depending how well they are able to manage it. A lot of the CEOs that I work with, this has been coming up as an issue, and you know, I've been sort of advocating that hybrid work is essentially still remote work because just because there's two, you know, half your staff or forty percent of your staff is in the office and the rest of them are at home. You're all still getting on video conferencing anyways, unless you can somehow magically make it where only the people on your team are going to be in the office at the same time you are. seems very unlikely, right? So you're still going to be on those. You're going to be sitting at a desk and so will someone else 12 feet away. And then there's going to be four other people that you're dialing into your conference. It's essentially you're working remotely from your desk. Right. Um, and, and so that's how collaboration is going to happen. But I've noticed a lot of CEOs telling me, well, you just can't collaborate and you can't whiteboard and got me really thinking. And I, I honestly, I'm wondering if this is really a matter of signposts. And what I mean by that is when you walk into a conference room and there's a whiteboard on the wall and the boss is standing up and they unclick that little pen and you can smell that, you know, the dry erase smell. It's like all these senses are telling you it's time to think collaboratively. It's time to brainstorm, right? This is time for me to think this way and not to do my mundane work that I do. And maybe what we need is just better signposts virtually, right? Maybe Possibly. we need, right? We need a way for people. Maybe every, we send everyone their own little whiteboard and a pen and ask them all to take out their pen and write down their ideas on their whiteboard. So getting that feeling, right? But you could still do it virtually. 
uh, without having to be in one room at one time. Because I've never had a problem brainstorming with my team over Zoom. I, you know, right. I've never had that problem. So yeah, I, I find that I, I do find that I, I think a lot of companies are struggling with that. I think where what we're trying to do is um, your to your point about whiteboards, tablets, whiteboarding, being on the call, and, and trying to make it as as real as possible. What I'm really interested in, and I haven't done any studying about this, having bought an Oculus or bought a VR system to, to get through the pandemic, basically, is I'm really curious to see what they're going to be able to do with virtual reality and people mm -hmm. sitting around a table and, and talking to each other and where that technology is going to go. Now, do we need it? No. But is it going to be an interesting transition from simply the two-dimensional of the screen to actually see people three-dimensionally? I've got to be fascinated to see where that goes. I'm sure there must be people working on that right now. Yeah, and will it? You know, we've been on a couple of virtual conferences where all of the men's avatars were essentially the same body. They were just a different shirt and a different shade yeah. of hair, but it was the same body, right? And the women all the same. Right. Body. And so it was, it was kind of cool to have like that little thing happening. But at the same time, about about ten minutes in, you were just mm. wore off because you were. It was so anonymous, essentially, right? You still had to connect with that person, find their name, and then then you would start a video conference and you'd really see them. But they were trying. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens. I, I'm really not sure if people wearing these giant goggles all day, you know, people already had those Zoom fatigue just from using right. a regular camera. Can you imagine putting something on their head and, like, I don't know. We'll, we'll yeah, see. I would hope it'll be like a hologram. I mean, I can't, right. I mean, after about 30 minutes of Oculus, I'm done. So, <laughs> anyway, well, yeah. I really appreciate all the, the insight that you have provided us today and kind of keeping this conversation going about remote work. Certainly love to have you come back at some point and keep uh, this conversation going. Um, but my, my last and most important question is, is how can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more if they're interested in working with you and your, your company? Well, the, the easiest way, honestly, because, because the book title is a bit of a problem uh, and, and we can't say it or really search for it, uh, it just go to Vertira, V-I-R-T-I-R-A.com, and there will be a copy of the book, and there's you know, everything you need to know about what we do. It's really the easiest way to find me. Fantastic. So thank you again so much, Cynthia. I really appreciate you being here today. Great, and thanks for all your great ideas. All right. You're welcome. Okay. Thanks everyone for listening to today's show. Hopefully you gained something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio brought to you by People G2.